You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Kitty. We're joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. We're back, and we have a lot to talk about. A lot has transpired since our last show. Pac-12 football, guys, it's officially back. The conference announced on Thursday that they're going to play a seven-game season in 2020. And we heard from a lot of people. We heard from Larry Scott, a whole Pac-12 conference. We heard from uh, USC Athletic Director Mike Bone, Head Coach Clay Helton, Keen Slovis, Amon Ross St. Brown. And all those people went on, except for Amon Ross St. Brown, went on a Trojans Live. So the USC media has made the rounds, uh, lots of appearances. So we'll talk about that and talk about USC's crossover game practices happening soon we're talking about practice and then the ap poll came out usc not in it but of course they haven't played anything so that kind of makes sense uh as always you can call us 5124 tunnel we love hearing from you guys so if you have comments questions concerns be sure to hit that line you can tweet at us hashtag tunnel vision i'll put your tweet up on the screen and as always we're monitoring the comments i believe we are live on all three platforms youtube facebook and periscope so uh, put your comments and Shaka and I will try and filter those in so into the show. So be sure to put them in. But guys, that was a mouthful. A lot has happened. Initial thoughts. Pac-12 football is back. We have football to talk about. Ryan, let's start off with you. What were your thoughts from the whirlwind of news? Yeah, it was a crazy day on Thursday. And, uh, you know, they're trying to digest all the information that was coming in about the seven-game season as you're watching college football happening over the weekend should be an interesting weekend this you know jt daniels might get the start for georgia their top five teams or number four georgia playing number six auburn so that should be uh kind of interesting we saw kj costello and mike leach go crazy so kind of getting the football bug a little bit more just from watching some college football i think this weekend will be even more obviously when the big 10 joins us the, the fray and then you know the pac-12 a couple of weeks late a couple of weeks later that will be great but for now, it's sort of like, okay, now what are we going to do? What's the schedule going to be like? How is the practicing going? We There's a bunch of news today from uh, Kyle, our friend Kyle Bonagora from uh, ESPN uh, talking about what's happening in the Mountain West because they're going to start a couple weeks early. San Jose State's in the same county as Stanford. They can't practice still because of the, the cohort uh, regulations and the health regulations. They're going to drive all the way up 320-something miles to Humboldt, California, and go practice up there, trying to find out what's going on with USC practices. So there's a lot going on here in the, in the Pac-12 and with USC. Still waiting for some final clarifications, like who's the crossover game going to be? What's the practice schedule going to be like? Can we go to it? So there's still a lot kind of happening, but we still have time. You know, it'll be 
probably beginning of October when they're going to start uh, fall camp, and then you have four week ramp up to that uh, November seventh season. But it's happening, Keely. It's happening, and I'm excited that we're getting this close to having some Pac-12 football again. Football is back. Yes. Shotty, what are your thoughts? Oh, he's. Have you unmuted yourself, Shotgun? I don't think he has. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> um, yeah, like Ryan said, I, I think that when you, you start seeing some SEC football and some actual good games going on instead of what we've seen the first couple of weeks, uh, yeah. you know, where there were a couple the, the biggest games and the most entertaining games were Coastal Carolina beating Kansas State and, uh, uh, you know, Kansas losing or can, beating Kansas and Kansas State losing um, to Arkansas State. I mean, those they weren't very good games either. It wasn't very good football. You had better football on the field with the SEC playing this past weekend. Though there, it was still a little rough uh, there. Uh, it, was, it was fun seeing some uh, of the different uh, familiar faces getting out there, watching Lane Kiffin and seeing what he could do with Matt Corral, you know, a former USC coach with a former USC quarterback commit, and seeing uh, them taking off Florida, and then seeing Mike Leach and KJ Costello, you know, former Pac-12 uh, rivals for USC, seeing them take down LSU. Um, so, yeah, you, you start to get the little bug a little bit more when you see some familiar faces and you see some actual good football going on um, So and, and some entertaining games. So it was fun to watch this past weekend. We'll see how the, how the, you know, the, the weekend uh, continues this week and see how the football is this week, the second week that the SEC is back. But, yeah, it, getting a final date, uh, you know, it's good to see that, that there is a date that's established, okay, it's going to happen. But it still feels like the Pac-12 is dragging their feet. I mean, I expected there to be a schedule out by now. You know, I expected, you know, that we would be talking about, all right, when exactly is USC starting practice? Even it's a tentative date. But everything is still very tentative out here. Nothing is, is, is established and set like you're seeing in some of the other conferences. Even the Mountain West, like Ryan talked about, um, you know, I haven't seen all the news today. I basically woke up, took a shower, and jumped on the show. And I tried to stay up through the night to watch the Braves game uh, this morning. The uh, night, so. quote-unquote, your night. Yeah, not normal people's night, your night. My normal sleep patterns. <laughs> um, but, yeah, but, I mean, that's that tells you how much teams are, you know, are, are trying to make things work in the Mountain West. And even if the, the, the county's not going to allow them to practice at this time, they're, they're finding a, a way around it. And is the Pac-12 willing to do those type of things? I mean, there was a lot of conversation about USC potentially, hey, why not go down to Orange County and practice? Because the restrictions are, you know, a little lighter there than they are in L.A. County. You're not seeing that in the Pac-12 where other conferences are figuring out ways to make things work. The Pac-12 continues to be a step behind. Yeah. Do you view that, Ryan, in the same way the shotgun does? Is it technically a step behind, given all the restrictions that California is facing? Well, it's uh, I mean, it's two weeks behind for sure. And, I, you know, the Mountain West, maybe they force things a little much. You had three teams in the California footprint. Only one of them, though, is in a, you know, a problem county uh, with San Jose State. And they're solving this by, like I said, they're driving to Humboldt State. They don't have a football team anymore. I got this band or whatever a couple of years ago. So they're going to go all up there. It's like a five-and-a-half-hour drive, or they might fly. I don't know. But they're going to go up there and do their practicing there because you know, with their season starting uh, in less than a month, there's not a lot of options. Like, you have to start fall camp. And right now, the cohorts, they're not allowed, you know, they're not allowed more than 12 by the state. Even though Governor Gavin Newsom came out two weeks ago and said, hey, this is uh, – you know, we're going to allow this to happen. It hasn't happened yet. And I think, you know, part of it's the daily testing and that's getting ramped up. Uh, talking to people, sources at USC, 
they still still seem pretty confident that there's no there's not going to be any issues that this is going to be resolved. They don't have to start camp and have the full like complement of players on a field uh, until like October eighth, seventh, something like that, October 9th. It's somewhere in that range, and you get that four week lead up uh, to the game. But there's I still see potential issues. Like the San Jose States of the world, they have to go out of town. But San Diego State, uh, they're allowed. I think Kyle Bonagora reported up to 55 people in their group. So they can have what is more of a normal practice. Not a full practice, but it's closer. And I think the same sort of thing with, with Fresno State. They're in counties that aren't going to be as restrictive. But for USC, UCLA, Stanford, and Santa Clara uh, County, and then also the city of Berkeley, for California, there's still those restrictions. Those counties, from my understanding, are all saying it's up to the state. So whatever the state allows, if they say you can practice with more people, the counties and those cities, the local governments will allow it. And like I said, talking to USC sources, they don't seem to, and I talked to some people from Stanford, uh, they don't seem to have, uh, they seem pretty confident that things are going to work out and be okay. But I've also talked to people that cover other teams like Utah, uh, Colorado, Arizona State, and they've been, been able to do a lot more than what the California schools can do. Uh, Chris Cartman that wrote a really interesting piece a few days ago about how much Arizona State has practiced. They've probably practiced the most, I mean, they have practiced the most, of any team in the conference. And once spring ball was canceled, the NCAA did allow more on-field instruction, where normally after spring, you can't do those kind of things. They've had a football out there. They've been able to do 11-11, not like full speed, but, uh, you know, 80, 75% speed, something like that. So if you're trying to install a new defense, the ability to have 11 of your defenders on the field with coaches there and footballs, that would be huge for USC. So there, you know, I think Utah's done a really good job with it just because of the local restrictions. Utah's practiced a bunch. I think Colorado did until the city of Boulder, or the county of Boulder, shut them down. And then Arizona State continues to do stuff. So those are three teams in the Pac-12 South that have done quite a bit. But like I said, talking to USC people, they don't seem all that concerned. I think what's going to end up happening is once all the training is done, the daily testing happens, maybe within the next few days, that cohort number is going to be reduced and you're going to allow uh, more, you know, bigger numbers and they can actually go out and do on-field instruction with more people for USC. But I think they're confident by the time fall camp actually starts or fall camp, uh, you know, in the beginning, you know, early October, that they'll be able to practice fully. It's just right now, the numbers are still, according to the people I've talked to for California, still 12 people groups uh, that you're allowed to practice in. I think it's important to note that there's no concern from USC about the co cohort numbers being resolved. I think there, if you ask coaches, are you annoyed that you can't practice right now? I'm sure they would say yes, but Probably, there, there's yeah. no concern that the cohorts uh, won't be revised. Shaka, you look like you wanted to ju jump in there. Yeah, and, and it's... It it seems even though they feel like it's going to be resolved, they're still falling behind. It's the same thing with the Pac-12, you know, because what happened with this finally coming together is they're not pushing the issue enough um, to, to be able to, to get on the field sooner. And you're seeing other conferences in the same footprint doing different things, uh, showing that they're willing to, to do a little bit more than the Pac-12 has been. And, you know, when you look at it, Ryan talked about how Arizona State has been able to practice and continues to practice. Now you're starting to see the competitive advantage of some teams, you know, being able to get out there earlier. Um, you know, that, that team with Herm Edwards and, and what they've been able to do there and Jane Daniels in the second year, that's a very dangerous team in the Pac-12 South this season for USC. A lot of people are just looking at it and go, oh, well, USC can make the Pac-12 championship. 
if you're falling, you know, 15 practices behind by the by the uh, cumulative uh, effect of this, how much better are they going to be than you are when you go in, especially when you have a new defense and who knows when you get them on the schedule? I think that, that Arizona State is a very dangerous team to USC and is not helping them not being able to, to do things as a, a full unit when you're trying to install a new defense. I mean, I, I, real quick, that's a really good point, Shotgun, and I think – Playing Arizona when the schedule comes out, you don't want Arizona State early because they have been able to practice more than anybody else. I think that's a really good point there. They've maximized what they've been allowed to do by the government, you know, Arizona government, their local governments, and the NCAA. And to be fair, USC maximized what they were allowed to do too. The problem is they just weren't allowed to do anywhere near as much as Arizona State. But you get USC props for doing everything they possibly could under the local health restrictions. I think the team across town at UCLA, I mean, they definitely didn't do as much as was allowed. So I think USC did a really good job, of, but they were constrained. And they don't seem, you know, like Keely was saying, I, I think they feel pretty good that those that cohort number is going to go away. But the longer it's not going away, there's just more time that the, the Arizona States and like the Utahs of the world are getting, you know, more full team practices in that USC can't get. But I don't think it's too big of a concern. But ASU definitely maximized what they were able to do. And as an up-and-cover in the Pac-12 South, you get them early, I think you're right, Chuck, and that could be a bit of an issue. But I think it's worth noting that Arizona State does have two new coordinators on both sides of the ball. Like, it's not – and the same thing, the Pac-12 is still under the same two-week ramp-up period, four-week full pad practices. I don't think anyone's really necessarily, quote-unquote, behind right now, right? Well, like, I mean, talk to the, uh, my guy at Arizona State today, literally, like, they've – it, from in August, they were doing 11 on 11 kind of stuff. Now, they can't do like thuds. They're not putting on shells, but they got footballs and they can go through, you know, not 100. They're not supposed to go at competitive speeds, but it's a kind of the equivalent of like what a Thursday practice before a game would be where there's some walkthrough stuff. But, you know, if you, are, you do have new coordinators, you are able to implement your systems a lot easier when you've got your whole team on the field and you can run through the plays. Sure. Uh, so I feel like. When you're trying to, there's going to be a lot of issues with any team that has head coaching turnover for sure. You got the Colorados, Washington State, things like that. But also USC replacing entire defensive staff. A lot of what Clay Helton said was, you know, they really needed to install. They talked about the systems a lot. They needed to install them, and I feel like Arizona State had to install systems, and they were able to do that a lot because of what they were able to do in practice as teams. I think USC had to just try to maximize what they could do in those smaller groups, and I, I feel like they did. But is, I don't think there's a substitute for having 11 people on a field against, you know, 11 offensive guys against 11 defensive guys. And, hey, here's what we're going to be doing. Of course, uh, yeah. You just can't do that at USC still. Yeah. I mean, but at the same time, I think we were coming off praising USC and the LA schools for trying to get things going. And then I feel like it's in the same category. Like, I don't know. I feel like you guys have changed your tune and I don't know where this is coming from. Oh, no, no I mean, I... I've given USC props for what they've been able to do. The only reason that this got the ball got rolling is because of the letters uh, from USC. And to me, it would be concerned. I, you know, if you're now looking at we have football, uh, you're looking at what's the competitive advantage or disadvantage. And USC's maximized what they've been able to do, but they're just not able to do as much as some of their you know counterparts in the in, in the Pac-12 South. I think the Washington schools have done a good job. Oregon had some of the same issues that all the California schools did too. Uh, so I'm not blaming this on USC. I mean, I think this is coming from, you're dealing with the California government. And I yeah. feel like they've they've had good channels in there. I think they're working with it. And like I said, our sources are, they feel pretty confident about it. 
But still, I mean, seeing what Kyle Bonagora was reporting today, when San Jose State's like leaving the county to go practice, because they have to practice now, you know, and they just can't do it yet. That's it, you know, it raises the flag. It's like a little bit of concern, like, wow, they have to, they have to, you know, drive 300 miles away to be able to go practice. Is USC going to have to do that? I don't, I don't think they're going to have to. But could they have been practicing today if they drove to Orange County, or you know, this week? Uh, you know, probably. But then it's just too much of a. That's a big hassle to do something like that. Yeah. You got to take the hassle if it's if you're falling behind a competitive advantage situation. Um, as long as you're staying safe, then I, I think you got to you know figure what what's going to be the hassle and what you can go through. Um, I'm putting more blame on the Pac-12 though, more than than USC, and it's a continued just lost days. And you know if you have sure. to continue continuously put the public pressure on the the governments, then do so. But it, you know John Wilner has been all over this throughout the entire pandemic. But him talking about the article he had a, a few days ago, talking about the lost days that, that the Pac-12 had from after announcing, um, you know, from announcing that they were shutting down and announcing the, the Quidel testing. You know, there's just been so many lost days where it's just like, why are you not doing more at this time? Yeah. And I, I feel like that, that that's the case. It, it continues to be that. Like, hey, we got something good. All right, we'll check back in with you in three or four days. All right, you know we need some time to digest this. And like, what are you doing? Get, you just next day, you should be on top of it, back to back to back to back, and keeping the pressure on. And, you know, you want to see that in, in a, on a football team, on the football field of a team. You you know, you want Mike Leach. You want to consistently put the pressure on the defense. And instead, it's like, all right, we picked up a you know a deep you know out pattern for twenty five yards here. All right, we're, we'll hand it off. We'll take two knees real quick, and then we'll see if we can pick it up on third down. Like that's how it feels. Like you're, you're not constantly putting that pressure on the defense here, and by the defense, I mean the the the, the governments to to allow this to, to happen in a safe manner. So I, I feel like there still can be more to be done, and because of that, I think you know the California schools are falling behind even more so than the, you know, their, their opponents. First, it was everyone in the nation, you know, just being able to play football first. Now you're falling behind your the teams you're going to be playing on your schedule, and that's going to make a big difference. Yeah, that's a very good point, Shaka. The Pac-12 did definitely drop the ball. Yeah, you knew about the the daily testing September third. Larry Scott actually knew about it beforehand. Yep, surprised the schools. Really had an opportunity to go and work with the local governments at that time. The problem is, and I talked to a bunch of people that cover the Pac-12, and I think everyone had the same sentiment that it was really the Pac-12 kind of sitting on their hands, just you know, letting the world go by, wanting that the, the daily testing was going to help for a spring season. But you have to read the tea leaves. You have to look at what was happening around the country, that the SEC was coming back, that the Big Ten was going stir-crazy. And, yeah, you look better than them because they were going absolutely nuts and fighting with each other. But that fighting with each other meant they were going to play. And once you start realizing that, you realize that's your dance partner and they're leaving. You need, you're going to need to go with them. And, and the Pac-12 didn't do that. And to USC's credit, like – they had to catch the Pac-12 had to catch up quickly, and that's why they're starting two weeks later because they had the president's meeting. They didn't have enough to, for a vote and all that stuff. They needed to push that as quickly as possible. But without that letter from the USC players and that public pressure on the government of California, I don't think this would have even been able to happen as fast as it did. So a lot of this is on. 
uh, Larry Scott's doorstep in the Pac-12. Although he did try to push for a... Uh, I was about to go say. Go ahead, yeah, go In the same vein, though, he was asked in the press conference last week, Thursday, by Andy Staples, hey, have you said anything to the, the college football playoff committee about, you know, expanding the playoffs, uh, maybe pushing it back a couple weeks? And he was like, no, I mean, like, they seem pretty comfortable with what, they're, what they have right now. And then we get a report today that Larry Scott did go and try and do that now a week later, and, and it's still the same answer. But, Shagan, I know you were pretty feisty about that on Twitter. Honestly, it just feels like he – the, the thought had never crossed his mind. And it's like, oh, he gets asked this question in a press conference. It's like, wait, maybe that is a good idea. Maybe I should <laughs> actually push for the Pac-12 and for the expansion, especially this year when, you know, there's so much craziness going on for a conference that's been left out of the pack, of the college football playoff multiple years now. So uh, it, it just feels like, you know, it, it's it, – there's always trying to catch up. And he and, and I was going to say to Ryan's point about you know uh, you know they got the Quadell testing and Larry Scott kind of kept it to himself, but it feels kind of like a you know a freshman quarterback has a really good game or a freshman has a really good game. He's re- reading those press clippings, spending yeah. some time reading those press clippings instead of getting back to work on the field. Like that's how it feels with the the Pac-12. Is like hey look we did this great thing. Let me read about this. This is great. You need to be out there practicing. You need to be like forcing the issue, getting better. No, no, no. I got to read this. This is really good. You guys should see this too. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, it's a good analogy, but it's also like it was something that, you know, it wasn't just reading the press clippings. It was like, um, you you got this five star recruit. You're like, oh, we got this five star recruit. We got this great quarterback. Uh, He's a, you know, dual threat quarterback. We can get him on the field and we're going to, you know, put pressure on the defense. But then you didn't practice any kind of spread offense, and you were just running like your under center stuff. With it. You didn't utilize your five star quarterback. You had the daily testing, and you didn't do anything with it, you know. And I think that's kind of what uh, the Pac-12 did. They were happy with the offense they were running. Like, yeah, we got this five star quarterback. Let's redshirt him. We'll just redshirt him, and we'll play him next year. But you needed to play him now, and uh, they didn't do it. And then they had to come up and uh, come up late, uh, you know, behind the times. Was his name Elijah Vera Tucker? Nice. Um, Just to circle back, Broadview, uh, Pac-12 is coming back for a seven-game season uh, starting November 6th, 7th. And just looking at the schedule, we know there's going to be one crossover game. So you're going to be in your division, then you're going to have another game from uh, your opposite division, so south, north, etc. Then you're going to have what they haven't officially said, but it's like a championship weekend where one plays one, two plays two, etc., etc., what are you just thinking about that type of schedule? Because each iteration of the schedule that Clay Helton has received for 2020 keeps getting easier and easier. What do you make of this? This is I'll, I'll start, I guess. If, uh, three, so this is 3.0, schedule 3.0 for yes. 2020. I did. I broke it all down on the, the podcast of Champions Today. Plug, if you want to go check that out, Pac-12 podcast. <laughs> but so John Canzano, who does a great job covering the Pac-12 also, he does his Ball Faith Truth uh, radio show up in Oregon. He was suggesting that you have three um, – you know, division, people that are going to be vying for the division, and Oregon, Washington, and Cal, and USC, Arizona State, and Utah. Don't have those play each other. Play, those are the top three, top three, the division, play the bottom. The problem is, you want to kind of keep some kind of continuity with the schedule, because you would like everyone's Pac-12 schedule to come from the existing schedule. So, if USC has, you know, UCLA and the Rose Bowl, I forget actually which one, but whatever it is, you want to keep your, like, home and away kind of five division games the same as it would be normally then your crossover game but if you had three home and two road then your crossover needs to be a road game if it's 
you know, three road and two home, it needs to be a home game. You want to try to make that as even as possible. Then that seventh game will be some will have home, some will have uh, a road game. And so it'll be a little off for anyone. But I went through the whole thing trying to go through Gonzalo's suggestions. And there was just no way to make the competitive balance work where you'd have like the top teams play the bottom teams and get the home and home, uh, you know, home and road kind of stuff to work out too. So the Pac-12 likes to keep things uh, very, you know, in order. This is obviously a chaotic season. So where is the compromise going to be? Are they going to compromise on, sorry, Oregon State, I know you went on the road to play UCLA last year. You're going to go on the road to play them again. There might be some where you have to go back to back. Uh, and there might be some where there's that competitive disadvantage. You just don't want Oregon and USC to be playing each other. But I don't want to see Utah and Oregon, the two champions from last year, have to play each other. You don't really want to see Cal play like Arizona State. Like, those are two, like, dark horse teams in the division. So I think the competitive advantage stuff is better uh, to, to focus on. And the schedule-wise, you know, it's going to the home away stuff is going to be screwed up a little bit. Who knows? Like, could USC play an Oregon State that wasn't even supposed to be on their schedule this year? It would make sense for, like, USC to play Stanford. Uh, but the problem is with, you know, USC needs a, I believe they need a home game this year. And they would, they'd already played Stanford at home. It's supposed to be a road game. So they'd have to mess that up a little bit. I would rather not see USC play Cal because they're, you know, two of the division guys that would be going for the division. So it's going to be interesting how it all plays out. But it's not going to be, you know, everything's neat and tidy in the Pac-12. You got the six different regions and they all play each other. That's all going to be going out the window. But what compromise are they going to make? We just don't know at this point. Shadi, what's your take? The big question is, do you try to manipulate the schedule to favor your favorites? That, that's the big question. And this year, obviously, yes. things are so different. Um, but it, the problem is also if you try to give USC and Oregon State and you try to give Oregon and Arizona so that they don't have – so that they have a better chance of being 7-0 and if they get to a championship game facing off against each other, you're, you're losing out on opportunities for quality wins too. Like a 7-0 champion um, from the South that beats Oregon State, like you've got – you know, and you win the Pac-12 championship game, regardless of who the Pac-12 South champion is, you've got like two quality wins in that. There's no way you're getting into the college football playoff with that. You good need point, to too. be able to. You need to be able to say, "Hey, USC played Cal. Cal's a really good team." Now, you don't want your top two to match up, but you you want, you know, if you can avoid the top two in each um, division meeting up. So you say, "Okay, these are the two teams we're, we're predicting. There's going to be the you know the." the two front runners for each division title. Let's make sure that those aren't matching up. But the third or fourth team that are going to be, you know, the, the, you know, if you play a Cal, it could be a quality win. And I think that's a much better chance uh, of boosting your schedule because, like I said, 7-0 and with an Oregon State win is not doing anything for USC. Yeah. You know, the, and, you, and also, like Clay Helton said, it is going to come down to – how you win those games, not just winning them, not just beating Oregon. If you play Oregon State, not just beating them by 14 or 17 points. You need to boat race some people. And that has, not been, that has not been USC's forte at all yep. under Clay Hilton. That's not something we've talked about it before, about how that's stunning the development of some of those backups, not getting that mm -hmm. extra playing time, especially the quarterback position. Um, so USC needs to go. And if you play a Cal, you need to do what you did to Cal last year, even though Cal should be a better team this year. Yeah. Like you need to yeah. go up there and just dom dominate them, or at home you need to dominate them and then show that, hey, we're the superior team. We should be considered 
for this. And it's not just going to be the college football playoff because we, we, I think we all agree it's going to be a long shot for the Pac-12. But it's going to play into some of those other bowls as well. You know, those New Year's Six Bowls and, you know, possibly getting an extra team in a New Year's Six Bowl as an at-large, those type of things, and a lot of money comes with that. So yeah. I think that's where you're looking at. You want to boost those resumes as much as possible. So it, it's a, you know, a fine line to, to decide. Do you manipulate the schedule to try to make it easier for your top team so that they will have a better record? Or do you need that strength to schedule component since there's so few games? And real quick on the USC schedule part, USC does need a home game. If you follow the same schedule that was going to be for just the division, they would have three road division games and two home games. So they would need a home game. The Stanford game is the one Gonzano kind of rep, you know, uh, you know, said, recommended. That's who USC should play. But Stanford was supposed to be a road game this year. So, um, mm. you know, we'll see if that would end up. The other two options, if you want to keep teams from the cross-division schedule and have them be home games, uh, Washington would be one, and then California uh, would be the other one. So if you want to keep the kind of like home-home thing going, instead of playing Stanford, USC could play Cal. Probably don't want them to play Washington, but both but both of those are like two of the top three in that division. So those are kind of the options if you want to keep teams that are on the schedule and teams that would be home and away and have it match up. It, it feels more and more like they're going to play Cal because um, Washington, I think, uh, I haven't – check to this but i think they're needing a home game as well so they're not going to go i think they already have an extra road game you're um, right so it's less likely that they're going to get you know go to usc if they have an extra road game already so there's now how it lines up do all 12 teams does it fit succinctly of you know the one team if it's already on their schedule needing the road versus home game that's there's going to be issue, but for usc uh, the Cal game looks like the most likely choice. And you're right, real quick. I'm sorry, Keely. You so Wa Washington does need a home game, so that wouldn't work for them, even though it would work for USC. The only I did all those matchups. The only one that worked was Washington needs a home game and Colorado needs a road game, and that's the game that Kanzano suggested. So they could that would actually work. Washington and Colorado playing each other, but none of the other ones would work. There's just not a lot of them that would work with the home and home. But Cal does need a road game. USC needs a home game, so that that could work. I mean, it kind of makes sense to stick with the California schools because also they're facing different, you know, standards. Yes. Would it be easier, though, to go out of the cycle, the, the Oregon-Washington cycle, and maybe do an Oregon State or a Washington State? You might have to do that for some because I'm going to try to dig in the schedule a little more. Just doing some research today for the podcast, it got complicated quick. Only adding one, you know, it's... There's some complications and stuff there, so we'll see what the priorities are. Yeah. Uh, it might be some mixture of all of that, where most teams are playing teams from their schedule, but a couple teams added one that wasn't in there. It's going to be a weird 2020, and I don't know if you can, you know, early on, the first schedule they were having, the California schools, USC was playing like the three California schools right away because those games could be postponed. There's no room in that schedule anymore, so it doesn't matter when you play as far as Oh, because you know you want to play that one early because it might be postponed. You have seven weeks to play seven games, so yeah. there's no, unless the whole college football thing gets postponed, which that could potentially happen too. That's a great point that we haven't mentioned yet, Ryan. This is seven weeks to play seven games, and in the original schedule, the the second schedule that the Pac-12 made, they gave a lot of windows for rescheduling and whatnot. This is you're going pedal to the metal, and and I think that's what they think is confidence in their daily testing system and the way that they're trying to prevent things. 
But if you have any mess ups, how do you see this going? I mean, do you think seven and seven is possible? I mean, I don't think all those games are going to get played. I think you're going to see, I mean, we're seeing Notre Dame and Wake Forest already get postponed. If there's a lot of postponements throughout college football, they might have, the, the college football playoff has been like, this is the date we're doing it. They might be moving that date. Like if the SEC gets a bunch of canceled, you know, they have, no, those conferences have built in cushions where the Pac-12 and the Big Ten don't. But if those cushions start to, you know, those go away, I think that might be easier to kind of push things out a little bit. But yeah, this is, there was a lot of flexibility in that 2.0 schedule. I liked it a lot. This yeah. one, it's like, well, we don't know what it is yet, but there is no flexibility whatsoever. And just real quick on scheduling, it's very difficult to do, uh, to do a schedule matrix. You know, when you have, like, you think about a MLB baseball schedule and how it's put together with 162 teams, the travel schedule, all that. It is ridiculously hard. They pay a boatload of money to a company to do it because it is ridiculously hard. It is, it's very scientifically based in, you know, manipulating a bunch of different things. So anytime you see a schedule, and be like, they're, they're doing that just to help this team out. They're probably just trying to figure out what they can make work, uh, especially this year. Um, now, the one thing that I would say that would be a scheduling advantage that the Pac-12 could easily do for their favorites, don't make them play on Friday. Yeah. Don't make USC play at Utah on a Friday. <laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> it, it's, it's very simple. Like, don't put Oregon on a Friday. Don't put USC. Like, take the four team, the top four teams that you designated, the two you know, front runners from the north and south, and just say, I'm not going to put these teams on a Friday. Simple as that. I, I think that's a, you know, an easy fix in the schedule that the Pac-12 could do that would, would help, the, you know, help out the conference as a yeah. And yes. re real quick, the reason why we're talking about the crossover games so much, because there was some debate if they would count or not, because you're only playing one crossover game. That could be a big disadvantage. So they count. So they count towards the. So if USC had to play Oregon and say Utah got to play Oregon State, well, that's a big advantage for Utah over or, you know, over USC. So those games count. So they have to kind of keep that in mind, too. And the Pac-12 schedules are definitely hard. The Pac-12, I think, literally just put it into like a spreadsheet before, and there there was all these teams that were playing like a Friday road game followed by a Saturday road game, and and they didn't even think about it, you know. And you were, you know, what like Oregon or whatever Washington would always get a bye before playing Oregon. There was a lot of complaints about that before, and once they realized it, they were called out at by the reporters. They're like, oh, they fixed it. Uh, it was almost like they just let a computer spit it out and didn't even look at it. You know, you got to have you know, you can have a computer figure something out. Be like, oh, that doesn't make sense. They shouldn't have to do those three road games in a row or whatever. Like, there's a human element to it too that you can kind of tweak. And I don't think the Pac-12 was doing that before. They're doing a better job now, but they had so many of those teams that had to go like back-to-back -back road game. You know, Saturday, Friday, and it was just a you know, it was terrible. The, the records were like teams never won when they had to play a road Saturday followed by a road Friday, and the Pac-12 finally figured it out and didn't make them do that anymore. You mean, and, and that's at, part of the reason. Go, go for it, Shadi. And that's part of the reason why the Pac-12 has been left out of the college football playoff as often as they have, because they've hurt themselves yep. with terrible scheduling. Um, yep. When you can see a consistent trend of hey, the, the teams that do this exact thing, road Saturday followed by a road Friday, they lose almost every single time. Yep. And then you see it is taken down your premier programs that season, each of these seasons over and over and over, you've just hurt yourself. One question I have is about, that I think will be interesting, is what do you do on the championship weekend? 
Now there, you could go one, one, two, two, three, three, and down the list, uh, division versus division, or do you make it one, one, two, five, and three, four? Because then you boost the potential resumes. Uh, you have more teams that have potentially five and six wins. You know that could you know that could look better for the conference as a whole than you know having more uh, you know four and five team wins because it evens out. And that's where the parity of Larry Scott, you know, he would rather have parity. Uh, that would potentially play in. I think yeah. it'd be better games for college football fans to see one versus one, two versus two. But if you're looking at it and you're saying what may be best for the conference, two versus five might be better. Sure. And especially if since it's such a short season, there could be an instance where a crossover team meets again that seventh week where yeah. you'd want to avoid that. And they might prevent they might put a rule to prevent that sure. too. I'd be curious. Sure. Hey Keila, we have a full call list. We have do three. We? Yeah, do we want to start taking calls? Or what? You're the you're the boss. So um, you before us. we do, I've been waiting for a question. It's actually from BW who says, "So basically, USC is playing for a Rose Bowl berth because there's no way a seven game season gets you a playoff berth." I don't think that's the case, especially when two of the four playoff teams from last year have already lost. Right, the champions lost and Oklahoma lost. We don't know. Like you just don't know. You don't know if those teams are going to be able to play ten games. There's so much we yeah. don't know. I wouldn't put I wouldn't put any money on a seven and zero Pac twelve team getting in, but I wouldn't put any money on a, a team finishing seven and zero. There's just so many unknowns at this point. You're playing because you get to play. Like this is just there's you know if you get to the playoff, that's gravy. Uh, I just think at this point, I'm not going to focus on that. There's no way that's going to happen. I mean, who knows? Well, the SEC might not be able to play all their games. The Big Ten might not be able to play all their games. We don't know at this point. True. Isn't the college football playoff? In, in the in the Rose Bowl, the college football playoff this year. Yeah, I think it's one of the semifinal ones. Yeah. Yeah. So that that really doesn't match up there. You're, you're looking more at playing a New Year's Six Bowl um, and, and getting into that group. I think that's what you're looking at. That's what you want to play for. And if you know if your resume speaks enough to to be able to be in a college football playoff, because I, I think you're going to look at you're just going to try to win your games, obviously. But I think your end goal is to win as many games. We'll see what happens around the rest of the country because just going 7-0 is not going to be enough. It's going to take other teams you know, yeah. falling off. Um, and I think I, I discussed this previously on the Family Feud podcast, but Plug. I think the SEC is going to have some struggles this year. This is the first time where they're actually having to play 10 hard opponents or 10 quality opponents every yeah. week instead of, hey, we got Charleston Southern here before we go and play Auburn in our rivalry game so that we can get a little breather, we can rest up, get some guys healthy type of thing. No, hey, you you got you got to play uh, Kentucky the week before. Kentucky's not the greatest team. They're much better than Charleston Southern, though, and they're going to push you uh, you know, a lot harder than a Charleston Southern would in the middle of the season. So I think it's going to be something a little bit different for the SEC, plus with the fact that you don't know about you know if there's going to be an outbreak or there's going to be some key sure. players missing – and the fact that injuries could play in as well. We've already seen a ton of injuries in the NFL. You're seeing some injuries in college football as well. There are a lot of different factors this year that are going to make it like, or you don't feel confident that, yeah, Alabama and Clemson will end up undefeated. You're like, yeah. they probably will be undefeated. But a lot of years you're just like, yeah, they, I don't see anybody on this yet. They got one hard game. Yeah. Now you're like, well, there's a lot of different variables that maybe something happens here. Yep. Um, so. And 
You're an SEC East team, and you're like, you get your two extra SEC games this year, and one of them's like Mississippi State. You're like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then you see them go out and, and, like, uh, and beat LSU the first like, ah, oh, crap. You know, that's it's a lot better than, you know, playing Samford or whatever they got to play. You know, like, oh, crap. Now we got to play Mike Leach in Mississippi State, some dude that threw for SEC record in his yep. first game. Like, yeah, there's there's more opportunities for, for losses there for sure. Mm-hmm. And Ole Miss, who should should be a crap team this year in the SEC, they're dangerous too. Yeah. Their defense has to play better. I watched that game, but you know Kiffin, uh, you know dialed up a lot of, of innovative stuff and fun stuff there. I think their offense and Matt Corral was really good in that game. I think Ole Miss is a dangerous team there too. So you know you get a team that you know LSU was primed for that loss because you lose Derek Stingley, who's the best cornerback potentially in the last decade. You lose him right before the game, plus all the other opt-outs and plus all the guys that they let, left off that defense last year, and you're just primed to get carved up by a Mike Leach defense. And that's exactly what happened. Now, what happens, you know, Derek Stingley's wasn't even COVID-related, but what happens if you do have, you know, uh, something happen with COVID where you get your two starting cornerbacks are out and you're Alabama or you're, you know, you're Auburn, and suddenly you're playing that Mike Leach team, there's going to be some, some – uh, sweating done before that game by the coaches so i don't think it's give it uh, a given that the the sec is just going to run the table uh and, and you know walk in while the pac-12 has no chance yeah. um so i, I think the acc is a little bit different i think it's the clemson is by and far way ahead of anybody else in that division in that uh, conference that i just even miami doesn't look great to me and they're the the, the prime contender probably there so, but the SEC, there could be a lot of things mixed up. And the Big Ten, when that comes out, you know, I think that Ohio State, you know, could be knocked off easy, easily too, even though they're a premier team in that league. So, uh, going seven and zero, you you just you got to win your games to try to win convincingly and see where the the cards fall around the country the rest of the way. Shadi, I'm going to put you on rapid fire before the show's even over. <laughs> All right, uh, you want to go to the call, Ryan? Yeah, let's do it. We have uh, Bobby from LA. Uh, Bobby, you are welcome to the show, Bobby. Hi, Ryan. How, how you doing, sir? How you doing, Ryan? I want to tell you, I believe Keeley very much about the window before the show started. About the window? The window. The window that Keeley didn't open. Uh, I'm not sure what you're before referring the- to, Bobby. Oh, before the show, you you went over to Keeley. Uh, well, I was in the queue, and I, I thought it was laughing when Keeley swore she didn't open the window. Oh, I didn't oh, close the God. window. <laughs> so, so Bobby had called in early before wow, the show, okay. and we're like, there's a lot of technical stuff that goes on trying to make everything work, and we're trying to stay six feet apart, so if something's <laughs> happening on her computer, I have to like put my mask on and go over there and fix it up. Yeah, we, Keeley didn't do anything wrong, Bobby. Don't worry about it. What, Thank what, you. what do you got for us? Well, a couple of things. First of all, I like uh, Shotgun's uh, beard very much, and the gray is because he covers Clay Helton. <laughs> That's why there's gray in his beard already, number one. Fair. Number two, I wanted to thank God for Keeley Year. Uh, Keeley is my name. It's very me. simply, what you talked about, JT Daniels, and the, the bad rap he's getting about from the USC fans this year, it's ridiculous because I remember two years ago at the Coliseum, against Cal when Clay Helton scripted the plays and they were up 14 and then scored another play in the game where Clay Helton was both the offensive coordinator and the coach. Next quick point I want to make is about the eye test. Everybody's talking about USC and 
possibility of going 7-0. and And I'm sitting there saying, where's the myopia? Why is everybody suffering from myopia? The offensive line, who I, I believe had a, Elijah Vera Tucker and Austin Jackson got ran over by Iowa in, in the uh, Holiday Bowl. Where, where the hell is going to be the offensive line, especially seven straight weeks? The offensive line in the roster they have belongs in the Mountain West Conference. And my final point is about Reggie Bush. I was very upset about Mike Bone because the hypocrite uh, using the word integrity to keep Clay Helton and Reggie Bush is the cause of an asterisk in the college football national championship. And they welcomed him back without, with what we suffered for, for Reggie Bush. I would expect uh, not to be welcomed back on day one of his eligibility. Love you guys. Have a great evening. All right. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks, Bobby. Man, he's here. <laughs> A lot of stuff to unpack. You know, it's been an off-season because Bobby usually remembers to be short, but he was long on that one. So he thank you, Bobby. But well, He started with the inside story there. But no, JT Daniels, I want to watch that game for sure. 4.30 uh, this weekend. Dude, I'm watching. I want to see what he's able to do if he's if he gets the the start. The offensive line certainly is a huge concern. Uh, losing your two tackles. You're going to move Veritek over. He opts out. Uh, that's a big deal. We don't need to rehash the Reggie Bush stuff, but you know, I think if you're a look at this team on offense, everything looks pretty special. The big question is certainly the offensive line. Yeah, and I think that part of the reason is now we have football, we can be a little optimistic, and we'll, we'll talk about the potential of USC going 7-0 because there still is that potential. They just have a ton yep. of talent. Once we get closer to the season, we're going to talk about the warts on this team a lot more. <laughs> um, and, you know, especially if we can see, uh, get to see them practice a little bit and see. Yeah, that's something we haven't addressed yet. There is, we did confirm through sources that Elijah Ver Tucker has not uh, hired an agent. Last we heard, uh, which makes him potentially opting back in, at least possible there. Uh, but what do you see this offensive line looking like? Because this was a problem last year, and now it just looks like it's just the glaring issue that could hold the Trojans back. It's one of those things where you're talking about, you know, every time you get a parking ticket, you throw it in the glove box and it's sort of like it doesn't become a problem until later. Well, you know, those subpar offensive line classes, I think it's becoming a little bit of a problem now. There's no five-star Austin Jackson ready that's coming in uh, that you can, you know, just plug in and play. And Elijah Vera Tucker was going to be someone that you're moving around and taking a chance at playing a left tackle. There's going to be some unproven talent out there. It's nice to get like an Andrew Voorhees back. But someone has to step up, you know. Is it a veteran like a Frank Martin or something that comes in and plays? It's hard to say at this point. And not having, you know, sort of some spring to to so, you know see what these guys can do. Still not being out out there and practice like that. Yeah, I think it's still a big concern, and it feels like it's going to be more of a patchwork offensive line, an offense that's going to be successful probably despite you know the play on the offensive line. They do need to get the ball out quicker. Uh, they're probably going to have some problems. You know, protecting Keaton, Keaton Slovis at times, but if the offense is clicking with the skill position guys they have and Slovis, you know, pulling the trigger, I think it could still be really successful. But are they going to be able to like just line up and pounce on people when they have to? Not that they could last year as well. I think that's going to be a big uh, a bigger concern for USC. But I, I don't think that's going to be the focus of this offense. All right, I'll, I'll continue Ryan's pessimism first, and then go to the optimistic <laughs> side. The pessimism is that yeah, they've gone four straight recruiting classes not getting their top offensive line targets. And you look at the guys that could have been on this office line and that they were legitimately in the mix for at the end, you know, Jackson Carmen and Penny Sewell playing at, at your tackle positions. Wow, what an offensive line then. Um, you know, or, or Sean Ryan or 
you know, Jonah Taunau, you know, there's a bunch of guys that they're going to be playing on Sundays that USC has missed on not being able to get that. Now it's going to come down to development. And that's been a big question mark on the offense line. Even guys like Austin Jackson, how much did he develop from when he got to USC? And, you know, part of that is there's been a constant rotation of offense line coaches over the last decade that's made it that much more difficult. But you haven't had the Tyron Smith followed by Matt Khalil in the next uh, draft class. That hasn't been the case at USC. There's nobody on this roster that is that type of guy. No one is that top five pick right now. Uh, so it's going to be coming down to development. Now, the optimistic side is that this is the second year in offense. So maybe you get a little bit more familiar with that, how you work with the guys beside you and picking up certain things in this particular offense. And also, it's Tim Drevno's second year coaching in, a, in this air raid type of offense. So maybe he can teach it a little bit better his second year because it was new to him last year as well. So that's the optimistic side. But there's big concerns there, especially if Elijah Vera Tucker does not uh, opt back in. Because yeah. even if Elijah uh, Vera Tucker opts back in and you decide he's not the left tackle, you just feel super comfortable with him playing one of those guard spots and just locking up beside Brett Nealon in the middle and be like, okay, we feel comfortable. That's where we can run behind. That's where we feel like there's uh, some uh, some strength. But without him, there's a lot of question marks, and you don't feel like there's any areas of definite strengths. Yeah. yeah. Ryan, do you want to go to another call? Yeah, we got uh, JJ uh, from Carolina. Let me pull him Carolina. up. Carolina. I believe. JJ, how are you doing, man? Good. How are you? Good. Thanks for waiting. Sorry it took a little while, but thank you uh, for calling the show. Oh, no, you're good. You're good. I just had a quick question about uh, recruiting, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, in terms of recruiting, we lost out on another offensive line target to Oregon a couple weeks ago. Do you think we're going to hire their offensive line coach since he is the number one recruiter in the Pac-12, like uh, Dante Williams this past offseason? The offensive line coach, is you were saying? Uh, yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah, that Dante Williams worked out well, and USC has one of the best defensive uh, back uh, groups in the country. I, I don't see them making a, a switch um, with Tim Drevno at this point. I don't know, Shotgun, do you have any thoughts on there? But, I, yeah, I don't I don't see that happening. But I, I see what your point is, JJ, is like you had a problem recruiting certain areas. Oh, go hire the really good recruiter. Maybe go hire another really good recruiter. Maybe that will help. I don't know. Yeah, I think that uh, when you look at the office line recruiting at Oregon, it's, it's much more than just their office line coach. Obviously, Mario Cristobal was an office lineman, so he, he plays a big part in their recruitment there. They have done a tremendous job stockpiling talent on that offensive line, and I think a big part of that is their head coach being an offensive line coach. That makes it a lot easier for uh, you know for players, for offensive linemen, to know that they're going to be treated with respect, know that they're going to be valued, and know that you know they're going to be coached upright when they have an offensive line head coach play out and be the quarterbacks coach. USC has gotten good quarterbacks, so you know usually that's kind of how it plays out. You know, Nick Saban was a defensive back. Look how many good defensive backs he gets. <laughs> B. Carroll, same thing. You know, that happens a lot where if a head coach, whatever position the head coach played, usually you see some pretty good recruits and some talent there. Um, but it, it, that's the type of thing. You're not going to see a move right now. That's the type of thing that USC would decide, oh, that person's doing really well. We should poach them away. And that's what they did with Dante Williams. I think that was a great move. But the, there's going to be a bigger question. This would be an after-the-season type of thing that you're looking yeah. at. Um, so I, I don't see that happening anytime soon. But that is something that USC – appears to be doing more regularly going identify that guy's doing really well at someone who's defeating us let's go take them away 
that's a that's why the Dante Williams move was such a great move. Not only was he, you know, is he a great recruiter and he's doing great things for USC, but he was doing great things for a team that is beating you in the conference. So now go take them away. Strengthen yourself while weakening your enemy. It's pretty simple. Yeah, at this point, is you got to win games. Like that, that's you're going to help your recruiting the most by winning games. If the offensive line shows development and they they're not going to be this question mark year after year. I think you're going to be able to get some of those those offensive linemen like Shotgun mentioned, you know, missing on your top targets for the last four years, guys that typically would go to USC when the things were just going like average. That's that's a problem. And I think you, you, you can fix that by hiring a coach, like a really specific coach, but you got to win games too. So I think that's what the seven-game schedule is going to be about. You can't go three and four. and it, You know, you go six and one or something, I think you can build on that a little bit. But you need something to build on in this short seven-game schedule. So that's going to be Clay Helton's job to do that. Win those games, and I think it will help you win some of those other recruiting battles against Oregon, especially if you get an opportunity to play Oregon in the championship and you beat them, you know. You lose again, you get blown out again. Uh, you know, that's going to be a concern. Well, on the topic... Real quick, it's very, very rare that you see a five-star offensive lineman go to a team that's not playing really well. Yeah. 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 You know, and when, and when you do, you go, hmm, Laramie Tunsil going to Ole Miss? That's yeah. strange. Well, we're on the topic of recruiting. Scott Rodriguez on Facebook brought up the fact that, you know, a lot of, we haven't talked a lot about how recruits are having such a hard time in COVID just because there's no official visits. Well, there, some people are taking visits, but there's no official visits. Um, and this is just such a harder time for recruits. I mean, what is this process like? And what, Shotgun, you're very in tune to the recruiting scene. What have you heard from, from guys? I have the wrong person to ask about this because I chose both of my colleges without ever going. You know, undergrad and sure. grad, I just showed up on campus. It's like the pictures look good on online. Works for me. <laughs> so I, I didn't take visits or anything. I didn't do that in high school to look at different schools. No, that was never me. So I, I'm not the right person to say, oh, that feels so bad for them. Uh, I, they are missing out on experience because they get pampered. They get treated yeah. you know, so well. Their parents do when they come. And then obviously the switch changes after they sign. Now <laughs> suddenly, suddenly from you're magnificent and you're majestic to you're a maggot, get out there and do your job type of thing. <laughs> um, so uh, they're missing out on that. But a lot of these kids have visited schools. What is hurting for recruits is recruits that want to leave school, want to leave home. You know, the – the Corey Foremans of the world, they've been to all the local schools. You know, the the, the five-star kid in Florida, he's probably visited every all the big schools in Florida as well, just taking either at camps to try to get his name out there early in his high school career or, you know, just taking visits to go see games or whatnot. They've been around those campuses. But the kid that wants to leave home, that want, is a Texas kid, but is just like, man, I'm tired of the way Texas is going. I want to go experience something else. That's much different. You're not. It hurts the kids like Iman Marshall, who took five visits to five different parts of the country to experience different things to see what fit best for him. Those those kids that want to explore a little bit more, those are the kids that are getting hurt. Yeah, and it's unfortunate. We don't know uh, if the NCAA is going to mess with the early signing period at all because, like, the season's going to be running later and everything. It's we don't know at this point, but it's 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 just another weird 2020 thing that it's just not going to be the same experience. I mean, talking to the the high school recruits uh, here in California that aren't going to be able to play, they're not playing right now, but they're playing in Utah. You see, uh, you know, Jake Garcia transfer out to, and go to you know Georgia to play, and then he's ruled ineligible, and they have a petition to get him back. I mean, these Crazy. kids want to play; they're trying to do something. They're going to do whatever they can, but there's just so many limitations, especially here 
in California. So recruiting is always kind of crazy. This is just, you know, I wouldn't put a lot of stock in much of anything right now. We've saw a lot of early commitments. You might see a lot more decommitments. Um, but, you know, we know that dead period is extended. And we don't know about the early signing period if they're going to move that around or what. Yeah. Ryan, do we have any more callers in the queue? We have we have another one. Yeah, it's our buddy uh, Cattleman in oh. uh, Knoxville. Another one that we need to make sure it keeps it brief. What's up, Cattleman? How you doing? <laughs> East Coast love, Kaylee. What's up, uh, Ryan? Uh, <laughs> loving the show. Hey, uh, here's the deal, guys. Uh, Clay Helton had it right on his opening day press conference. Faith, family, football, and face masks. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. Just a different, just a different kind of face mask, right? It's uh, yeah. We, at least we. I was wondering if we we're going to see football being played with like full-on face masks and stuff. We haven't seen that yet, I guess. But there's some of the baseball guys, shotgun, are are wearing like some kind of face covering when they play. It's weird. Yeah, I was going to ask if uh, shotgun was going to find a razor or Georgia was going to find a quarterback first. But the last <laughs> caller took my laugh line. That's pretty hey, good. Yeah, hey, guys, just two things real quick. Hey, Keely, one thing for you. Um, Cracker Barrel's selling cheap wine now, so I had a table for one, but after social distancing, the server said I could have a table for two. So I'll still meet you in Barstow. Thanks. I'll still meet you in Barstow. Okay. <laughs> Good to know. Okay. Hey, hey Ryan, 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 here's where I'm going real quick. Two things. Uh, my man Dan Weber, I'm a big Dan Weber fan. Is he still working with y'all and everything? Yeah, so Dan's dealing with some uh, some – family stuff right now so we hope to you know talk to dan again here real soon so yeah we we, we love dan and uh we miss him being around but he's gotta he's gotta take care of some stuff first oh did we lose him we might have lost him i think we lost him sorry about that there you go well i've been invited to cracker barrel still yeah, haven't gone barrel? yeah still haven't gone so it's uh it's it's pretty good stuff and i think if you if he's if you go on barstow i think you can sit inside now so it depends. There's different counties you can't. We're in L.A. County. We can't do much here. So wherever you guys are in the country, you probably can do more than what we can do here in L.A. County. Interesting. Yeah. Sounds good. Shotgun, you look like you want to jump in here. Uh, I just think the uh, the Georgia quarterback situation is very interesting. Um, yeah. You know, and we'll see if, if J.T. Daniels does get the start this week. I mean, it, it was – uh, so bad, I want that to happen. So bad, I want to just watch him play. I, I feel bad for Dewan Mathis, who has gone through a ridiculous yeah. amount to get to where he is right now, but he just did not perform well at the beginning of that game. They, they made a switch and were able to come back against Arkansas, but still a lot of question marks about the QB play. So if JT Daniels is, is now clear, like they say, does that mean that he steps right in or they let someone else start the game? And if there's trouble again, does JT come in? There's some question marks there. So this game should be uh, really interesting. Super early in the season to have the Deep South's oldest rivalry played, so yeah. uh, it should be fun. I mean, Kirby Smart said that that didn't mean that he was going to start or cleared to actually play in the game. He was just like cleared, and so I'm I'm curious because uh, I've heard that Kirby is very uh, conservative when it comes to like clearing people medically. So we'll see. I I don't know. We'll see. But he's he's been leaving it so wide open. Like before the game last week, he said, "Well, maybe he gets cleared by 4 p.m." Like what? Like you, you suddenly <laughs> just go to side? Like oh, if the doctors tell me at four at three fifty, he's good, and he's he's in the rotation or whatever. Um, a couple of quick notes on some other former USC players. Bubba Bolden's been playing really well for Miami. Yeah. Um, has had turnovers there. Uh, Levi Jones, uh, their first game, he had a sack to to end the game basically um, for North Carolina State. I uh, haven't seen how Kerry Angelai is doing for them this season uh, yet. Haven't seen any highlights of him, but. 
a couple of former Trojans that are playing well. When the Big Ten starts back up, obviously Illinois will be a school to watch once again with Josh Mortabebe and Trayvon Sidney. And nice. Daniel Mortabebe. And Daniel Mar- yes, correct. Sorry mm-hmm. about that. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for that roundup, Shadi. Uh, we have a question from Kay on YouTube who said, any thoughts on Keaton Slovis and his ability to take hits this year, considering less practices given the current circumstances? Mm. I mean, it's going to be interesting how much weight he's put on, you know, because he was he was a thin guy last year. It's like if you watch Bryce Young at Alabama, at the end of his career, he's going to look like a different dude. You know, Tua Tago, uh, Tonga Vailoa was the same, same way. You know, the slim guys, when they get into college, they've got to put on some extra weight because you're going to get hit. Um, and now when you're facing a 300-pound defense lineman versus a high school 250-pound defense lineman, those hits, the, they have much more impact. You've got to put on weight at any position, and that includes quarterback. Even though, you know, you, you're not the guy out there that needs to bench press and push a guy around, you know, you still need to be able to add on weight to, so your body can absorb those hits a little bit better. So, you know, he's got one of the big areas where I would have been working for him is strengthening his traps and his neck. Just because you saw a couple times with the hits he took, the whiplash effect, which is something that you can actually help do with developing your your neck muscles and your your upper back muscles a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that I'm – it's like a question mark that I guess we'll never really know is that coming into spring camp, it seemed like Keaton's arm – was still a little bit of an issue from the holiday bowl because he said that on that march 11th that he had been cleared just a week prior and so he he kind of alluded to that uh, in his press conference this past week about how he he's actually had more time to get that fully rested up and that he's really value he's valuing the whole uh rehab process now and, and icing and taking that seriously so it's one of those things where you're like i wonder if he had a whole full spring of throwing what would that look like but lucky for usc they didn't have that and now his arm seems good to go on that front and anytime you have an injury scare especially to your pitching or throwing arm um you know i I think that puts in the back of your mind i need to do as much preventative care as i can and i think that is included in that weightlifting process where you're coming out of high school and you're like i don't i don't need to be the bulky guy but then you see oh what can this do for me and maybe you take it a little bit more serious when you're in the weight room and stuff so i think slovis is going to be better adapted to take hits hopefully (laughs) It's not something that's uh, an absolute necessary thing, but who knows with the office line and where it's at, depending yeah. on who's going to be playing. Yep. Uh, we've reached the top of the hour, so we're probably going to get into rapid fire if you want to put your final questions in the chats. I am monitoring them. But, guys, we kind of already uh, alluded to this, but from your immediate assessment, who do you think is going to be the toughest opponent for USC in 2020? I think right now, for me, I'm going to go, not knowing the crossover game, because sure. that certainly could be, uh, I'm going to go with Arizona State uh, because of the the younger team and the, the, their ability to have been able to practice a lot and really work on their craft. I just think that Herm Edwards has done a really good job, way better than I thought, paying that hire from the very beginning. But, uh, you know, Jane Daniels is a special quarterback. He didn't get to really, you know, show what he could do against USC last year. So I think it's going to be a real opportunity. If it's an early game, for ASU, I think there's going to be a, a big advantage there. But I like what Arizona State's able to do. I mean, Utah just does a, such a good job of developing players. They've won the South the last couple of years. But so much production uh, is gone from that team. Now, they didn't, I don't think they have any opt-outs, but they just lost a lot of guys uh, from the team last year. I think it's going to be a little tougher. Whenever Utah played a team that had talent, you know, USC beat them in the Coliseum with Matt Fink at quarterback. Uh, they really got shown up by Texas, uh, you know, another team that has a lot of good athletes. And now they lose a lot of their best players. 
I'm not going to be as confident going into the season this year with, with Utah. I think I'm going to pick USC to win the South, but I'd probably have ASU second, so that would be my toughest test for USC. Since Ryan took Arizona State, and I think that's definitely going to be a really tough matchup in the maturation of Jaden Davis, but also Chris Hawkins being on a defensive staff and having gone against this this offense every day in practice shouldn't be uh, uh, should be noted as well. I, I'm going to go with Washington in the championship game. Oh, Washington. look at you! Okay, yeah, Creative. because everyone's just assume, everyone's just assuming Oregon's going to cakewalk to the championship. But have you seen the guys they've lost? Like the, it's the whole not, secondary. Like the, the the secondary is just gone, just absolutely gone. And then you lose Pene Sewell, the most dominant offensive lineman in the country. That's going to definitely hurt you. But they also lost a ton of other offensive linemen off that uh, veteran offensive lineman off that group from last year's group, and Justin Herbert plus some other playmakers. So they lost a bunch too. That everyone's just kind of given you know everyone from USC's fan standpoint is just kind of given the title in the North to Oregon, but I think Washington might end up being the team to beat up there. Interesting. That's a good point. I mean, Oregon. The, the problem is they've recruited so well. Now Washington has too, just not to level of Oregon. They got five star dudes on that roster. The Kayvon Thibodeaux of the world and Justin Flows, guys like that. Yeah, I mean, I think they can uh, they can fill in some of the dudes, but losing that whole secondary, I think uh, Javon Holland or whatever just. Uh, opted out this week too so it's there he there he was their nickel corner but he was probably their best cornerback um yeah when you're talking about going against usc and you got to play all those receivers and you lose your whole secondary that's that's a potential mismatch there but you know we don't know what jimmy lake's going to do uh you know for for the huskies but i, 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 I see jimmy lake. Yeah, yeah i think they'll be good i watch out for cal with chase garbers you know he uh that, if they have to play cal in a crossover game Again, another quarterback that didn't play against USC last year. So uh, he did for a couple snaps. He did. He did. Yeah, he did a couple <laughs> snaps. But uh, that that would be, I, I think, if you're looking at quality win, playing Cal as a crossover would be good. But if you're looking at potential losses, I think that's also a potential loss. So just to be different, I think ASU is a threat, especially because speaking of quarterbacks, USC didn't play. Jaden Daniels uh, could be a threat there. I'm just going to go with Utah, just because if it keeps the home and away splits, it's going to be at Utah. And knowing the Pac-12, it's probably going to be a Friday game. Mm -hmm. USC hasn't won the last three away games at Utah, so I'm going to put in Utah as a top opponent right there. Um, and that, that game... It Utah USC is always a close game, and, yep. and basically the home team wins. You know that's basically been the last the, the six marquee. years. It's gonna be, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a come down to the final drive type of thing, and the home team's going to win. So mm -hmm. that trend continues. Yeah, and if it's away at Utah, it's probably going to be pretty cold. So USC doesn't fare well when they're freezing. So hey, we'll Co see. Coley has a quick rapid fire one. Who are the bottom three Pac-12 teams? I was going to get to it right. Oh, I'm yes, sorry. no, no, you're fine. Go for it. Real quick, I, you could argue that they're all in the South. You could say UCLA, Colorado. Colorado's got the, uh, the the coaching change going on there, and Arizona uh, that they have a potential coaching change. You might throw Washington State up there. Oregon State. Oregon not State's on the, the rise. They're, they're on the rise. Yeah, they're they're going to be they better. Lost, they lost their quarterback. Yeah, they they lost Jake Luton, but they're you know <laughs> that's like their third year in the system. They're going to be all right, but. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I would probably, I would, I, I like Nick Rolovich, but they've had a bunch of defections too. I think it might take them a little while to get through. They did practice a bunch more, but I would go, yeah, I think I'm going to go like UCLA could be down there and Arizona and, uh, you know, Washington State. And Colorado, would, I, not Carl Durrell, Carl Durrell guys, so who knows. 
Carl Durrell. I, I would go with Colorado, Oregon State, and potentially Washington State. I would say that they're all three northern teams, even though Colorado's not in the North Division. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, we have a question from... Um, I don't know who said it on Facebook so we don't get the names, but they said chances that AVT stays. Andy said that on Facebook. Yes, there, there are chances. <laughs> not a, I wouldn't say a lot of chances. Um, yeah, I hit, like Keely said, the sources were saying didn't hire an agent, but I, people I've talked to just didn't seem to be a lot of confidence that he would uh, come back. I, I don't see it happening, but, you know. The, there's chance. concerns about more than just – what is going to happen on the field? You know, there's, there's, a, you know, there's different concerns uh, from his side of things about what's going to be allowed for, you know, are parents going to be allowed to come to games? Are, you know, what's going to be, how is his stock going to be helped? There's a bunch of different questions there. It's not just, you know, where is he going to play at USC and, you know, is USC playing? There, there's still things that they're waiting to, to find out. They're still waiting for all the variables kind of to come out and, We'll see once the schedule is released, that, that could play into it as well. So um, from the people I've talked to, still some things that are up in the air there. Still a possibility, but not a probability. There you go. There you have it from Shoddy. I mean, it's it it's funny how, given how much uh, Shaka and I uh, tried to advocate for Elijah Vera Tucker on the Family Feud podcast, how much that now he's only had one uh, start starting season how much he will change things if he comes back like that's something that gives usc such a huge boost so yeah. uh that's someone who could have been playing earlier just saying uh we have another rapid fire from coley white who said who is your favorite or who is your pac-12 dark horse i'll go with cal chase garbers <laughs> chase garbers is your new tyler Vaughn. mvp yeah <laughs> i like washington i mean i don't think maybe people I they're dark that. horse but that's like eh, it's are they i mean I think most people would have Oregon and Cal as the top two teams in the North, yeah, right? maybe. Potentially, yeah. That's good. No, I mean, yeah, you could argue Cal or Washington, but... ASU? Dark I'll tell you, how about it's good dark the, no, the Pac-12 North number three? Whoever you're, you're determining yeah. is number three <laughs> between those two. Yeah. Sure. ASU sure. is a good one, too. That works. Alrighty, I think that is it uh, for everything. I tried to get all the rapid-fire questions and Sorry if I missed yours. Um... Any final thoughts, guys? What, what's up, Ryan? No, good show. I think uh, I'm glad to be back. We're going to try to do these midweek ones. Hopefully not when the Lakers and Dodgers are playing at the same yeah, time. Yeah, the, the Laker game is like they're losing. They're winning by like 30 or something. I think the Dodgers were up 3 nothing last I checked. Who cares so. about the Dodgers? Go Angels. That's all I have to say. Are the Angels in the playoffs? Uh, they... No, they're not. Oh, They fired then. their GM, so that's good enough for me. Oh, Not really, but yes. They should hire like a, a winning coach. Wouldn't that help Like if they hired someone that's like won a World Series or something? Or... Oh, wait. Oops. You know, but if they got the best player in the game, that would help too. Huh, right? you they, think, you think, the, right? oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I yeah. know. Hold on. Fire Artie Marino, that's all I got to say. <laughs> Shotty, final thoughts? <laughs> I got cut off. Damn. Yeah, you did. The Braves won. Uh, but uh, earlier oh. beat up. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> we, go, go, go for your rapid fire. I have a rapid fire for you specifically, Shotgun. Earlier, uh, B-Dub said uh, USC should schedule a non-conference with San Diego State since they'll be playing next door for the next two seasons. Since they're going to be playing at the former StubHub Center. Um, where the Chargers have played, I, I don't think it's a bad idea, and I think I, I, I think this is going to be interesting. Um, college football may be different, but when you look at other sports, you're going to see much more regionalized schedules for the next, at least for the next in the spring, and you know for the next year. I, I've talked to some baseball coaches; they're telling me that a lot of the scheduling is going to be very regionalized. You're not going to see as many SEC teams coming west or vice versa. 
Um, so I don't know if that will trickle down to college football because there's so many schedules are so far in advance. But for other sports, including basketball, you might see more, much more of that. So maybe that's something that USC looks at with San Diego State as well. Yeah. Speaking of uh, the Braves, Shotgun, we had a question sent to you from uh, USC Athletics' own Brandon Sosna, who said, Shotgun, the Braves didn't deserve to win that game, and you know it. It was almost as bad as the first Reds playoff game of my life, 2010 NLDS. Roy Holiday's no-hitter. Enjoy your sweep tomorrow. So there you go. I'm definitely hoping for that sweep tomorrow, and that the Braves did sign Trevor Bauer for a UCLA pitcher uh, in the offseason. Add to the rotation. Wow, look at you looking so hopeful for the Braves. Nice. And, and just, just pointing out, Bauer was ridiculously good th- today. It looked very similar to when he almost no hit USC in 2010 when I was there. He had like 15 strikeouts uh, and gave up a f- his first hit in like the seventh, late seventh or eighth inning uh, of that game. He was such a dominant pitcher at UCLA. His last nine starts were all complete games. Wow. When he, he was the name of the best uh, college baseball player that season over his teammate, Garrett Cole. Um, but his last nine starts all over all complete games. And he threw at least 130 pitches in all but one of those. Wow. Wow. Old school. Trevor Bauer is one of my favorites because he's such an original. There nice. you go. A little baseball minute for you guys. Uh, not to be confused with the basketball minute. That will come later on in these tunnel visions. <laughs> but that will wrap it up. Ryan, any final thoughts? I know nope. I cut you off. You we're good? good? We're good. Let's get out. Alrighty, of that's Shaka. That's Ryan. I'm Keely. We're glad football's back. We'll see you next time. Bye. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.